you know you're in a healthy place with food when you realize that not everything is revolving around food. Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, and welcome back to Shoulders Down. I am recording today's intro from the couch. I'm a little sick, which is frustrating because I never really get sick as much as I've gotten sick this past few months. Um, But, you know, in terms of intuitive eating, getting sick always makes me grateful to have the relationship with food that I do because I just focus on rest and eating what I can to feel my body, even if I don't feel hunger cues because I'm not feeling well. Um, whereas when I was struggling with my relationship with food, I used to be like so upset when I was sick because it meant I couldn't work out and I like would ruin my my whole plan and I would just feel like, oh my gosh, it's what's the point, you know? Um, and in the same light, I would feel low-key kind of like happy that I lost my appetite and that feels really sad to, to reflect on that. Um, so if you're in that place right now, know that it's possible to heal your relationship with food and allow yourself true deep rest when you're sick and to move away from these feelings of like feeling somehow excited when you don't feel well because it means that you're not going to eat as much. Um, It's possible to move out of that relationship with food. So I'm not going to answer a listener question today because my voice, my throat is kind of scratchy and I want to Um, save my voice for client sessions this week. But I do want to share a quick announcement, which is that I have a few spots open right now for one-to-one coaching in the Embodied Method. Now, this is my four-month-long one-to-one coaching program. It's my highest level of support that I offer for, um, you know, in my business. It is my proven signature method. I've now had the honor of helping so many clients through healing their relationship with food. And it would be my absolute honor to work with you in this capacity if it is something that you are interested in. So I want to share a really quick client story just because it's relevant, um, sort of, to today's topic. So I have a client who I met with last week and she shared with me, she's Jewish, she shared with me that at Rosh Hashanah dinner for the first time, she was able to stop when she was full at this meal. Whereas usually at these big family celebratory meals, she always leaves the table feeling so uncomfortably stuffed, so physically ill. And it's typically just an all out binging experience. And um, she said this year it was different. Like she noticed herself just choosing what sounded good, stopping one full without really much effort, which was a key part that she mentioned. It just kind of felt natural. It wasn't like I have to be disciplined. You know, I have to stop when I'm full. It just kind of like naturally happened as a result of listening to her body's cues, which I thought was so beautiful. Such a big win and celebrating her so, so, so much. 
And so this is the kind of outcome that can be possible. She's been in the program. um, We've been working together just a little bit over a month. This is the kind of outcome that can be possible for you when you get the right tools and support on healing your relationship with food. It's possible to not leave a big celebratory meal feeling like so sick. Like you just you just have to like go home and unbutton your pants and just like go right to sleep because you just feel so uncomfortable. It is so possible. This client is not a unicorn. These kinds of changes are really possible for you too. So I want you to think about this because the clients who I start working with right now, because the program is four months long, that means that they'll have the support through Thanksgiving, the holidays in December, and New Year's, which can be some of the most triggering times around food. There tends to be a lot of these big celebratory meals, which can cause you to like feel like, oh my gosh, I blew it. I I ate bad. I, I might as well just, you know, start fresh tomorrow. And it can kind of perpetuate this binge restrict roller coaster where you're either like being good and eating clean or like saying, screw it, whatever, I'll eat whatever I want. And On top of that, the holiday season is, of course, a time of lots of diet talk and lots of diet companies preying on vulnerable individuals trying to get you to join a new diet, join a new program. And I just want you to know that this can be the year where you break that cycle. You don't have to keep joining a new diet. You can invest a few months in healing your relationship with food and be set for life. I want this for you. You deserve this. And it would be my absolute honor to invite you to apply to my program. The link to apply is going to be in the show notes. It's going to say apply here and you can fill out an application. It just asks you a few more questions about you and your relationship with food. And then from there, I'll reach out to you within 48 hours to schedule a free discovery call where I will hear more about your story. And if I feel the program is a good fit, I will go ahead and offer you a spot. And if I don't feel it's a good fit, I will share that with you honestly, because it is not my intention to push you into something that isn't right for you. So with that, I'm so excited to introduce the topic of today's episode, which is the nuances of intuitive eating, specifically in the context of religious dietary restrictions and things like religious fasts. We're answering the question of like, how do you differentiate a rule, a food rule coming from a place of ethics and values um, from maybe your religion versus a food rule coming from a diet culture place? We really dive into these nuances within intuitive eating. It's such an important conversation, and I'm so excited to be releasing this the day before Yom Kippur. So um, if you're not familiar, Yom Kippur is a Jewish holiday. It is, if you're listening Tuesday when this airs, it is... um, the holidays tomorrow, Wednesday, and it's a fasting holiday. So on, on this episode with my guest, Rachel Goodman, we talk about how to know if your intention for fasting is coming from you know a true place that's aligned with your values, your, your religion, your spirituality, or if it's coming from a diet place of wanting to capitalize on the holiday as a socially acceptable excuse to restrict. With that, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. Today, I have Rachel Goodman on the podcast. And before I give her formal bio, I just want to say, I said this in the interview to her, but I want to say it again. Rachel had a huge impact on my um, business journey. And of course, business and personal life are so closely intertwined. So she had a big impact on my life in general. Rachel is uh, an intuitive eating dietitian who I was following on Instagram before I started my own practice, my own business. 
And I reached out to her a few years ago saying, you know, what are your tips? I'm a new dietitian. I want to do intuitive eating counseling. How do you recommend getting started? And she connected me with an incredible mentor who is still my mentor to this day. And so I just want to say thank you to Rachel. It's it's really special to have her on the podcast because um, she played such a significant role in me getting to start this um, this journey of having this business and getting to do the work that I love so much and um, getting to walk with so many folks on their intuitive eating journeys. It's the greatest honor and privilege. And I'm so grateful to, to Rachel for the part she played in that. So Rachel Goodman is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, entrepreneur, public speaker, and mom of four who is passionate about helping women rid themselves of food rules, guilt, and binge eating and heal their relationship with food, as well as fostering a positive body image through the lens of self-care and compassion so they can fully show up for their life and live at their highest potential. Rachel also mentors fellow food freedom professionals on how to coach their clients confidently to food and body peace through her Food Freedom for Professionals mentorship program and online course. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. So happy to have made this work and happy to have you here. Yeah, I'm so excited. I have to tell you too, I meant to say this to you before we hit record. You are like such a special part of my story because I don't know if you remember, but you sent me to the business coach who I ended up working with and like started my whole thing so early on, like I could scroll back and find that DM. So I'm so grateful to the role you've played in, in my my business journey. Yeah, that's so incredible, by the way. And I could go back. I remember, I think it was in April. It was April, in April. Of, like, not this April, a year and a half ago, April. Like two, like two years ago, well, even more so than that. Yeah. Passed. No, but but I think kind of what brings this story full circle, and I think I, I think I messaged this to you. Um, you had reached out at some point talking about like mentorship or supervision or something like that, and at the time I wasn't doing it officially, and I was kind of like thinking about it, like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? And then after our conversation, I was like. I want to do this. Like you were the catalyst to like, be like, yeah, I want to do this. Um, And so fast forward, I think it's like a year and a half I'm doing now. I'm doing that. Like I'm doing mentorship for colleagues and professionals and stuff like that. And um, I think it's so cool how we played that role in each other's like, I don't want to just say business lives because I don't like to isolate business as business. You know what I mean? It's like in totally. lo- in our lives. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, that's awesome. And you did share that. I love that. It kind of w- went both ways. Yeah. And if that program was around at the time I was starting, I would have totally, that's exactly what I would have needed. Like I see your, your content for it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like I hope people take advantage of this because I love that Thank it's like you. intuitive eating a line. I just think it's awesome. Thank you. Um, so I'd love to just start by hearing your story. I've never really heard your story fully besides like bits and pieces on Instagram and stuff. What is your story with your relationship with food and body, whatever version you want to tell right now? Yeah. I'm like, should I tell it? There's so many different like lenses. I Not so many. Let's not go crazy. But there's like <laughs> different lenses I could tell it from, you know, like my journey to becoming a dietitian and how that played out or, you know, they're kind of actually all in one. But where do I start? Cause I actually have a podcast on this, like a whole hour, not, is it an hour, like 40 minutes, but we're going to give you the abridged version here. <laughs> so, um, I think I always loved food. First of all, like I was not a picky eater as a kid. Like I was that kid that ate chicken feet, not exaggerating chicken feet, liver, broccoli, cabbage, and also cake and cookies. Like, you know, I like when people say picky eaters, um, I don't relate on a personal sense because I just love food. Um, and so ever since I can remember, that was kind of my thing. But then when 
diet culture kind of started to seep into my life. Um, that obviously became a love hate relationship. And I could kind of pinpoint certain moments in my life. I think it all starts. Well, for most people issues with food starts when body image issues start. And my first ever memory of body awareness and in a way that I wished it was different was when I was five, which is crazy that a five-year-old even thinks that. And it was from watching. I remember watching Ariel little mermaid, right? Disney. And I remember wishing that I looked like her. And obviously I'm not going to look like her. Like no one's going to look like her. Anyone, <laughs> most people who would look like her in real life would just be very unhealthy actually, like for Disney princesses in general, which is crazy. Cause they seem to be getting thinner and thinner with like, you know, like when I watch frozen, I'm like, how, why? Right. Um, but that was like my first awareness of that. And then, um, I can remember when I was 11, That was my first diet. I didn't know it was a diet. I didn't call it a diet, but I knew enough at 11 years old that if I eat less, I'll weigh less. And so I actually, I just shared with you, I moved homes. I moved from Brooklyn to New Jersey. And of course you're packing and moving and all of that. And I found my diary from sixth grade and on the first page, this gives me chills to say like on the first page, you know, you're going to open it, you go down nostalgia road and, um, on the first page of my diary, it says how I went, I wrote how I went to a party that my teacher did. And at the end of it, like how I ate all the food and it was so yummy. But then the la- this is literally the words it said, I'm fed up with being so humongously fat. I'm going on a diet. I hope it works. Like that's word for word what an 11 year old wrote. Mm. And um, it's just, it's so crazy how we know this stuff from such a small age. And what I did was um, I just stopped eating snack at recess. That was my way of eating less. And the thing is, I started getting compliments on, oh my God, you look so good. You lost weight. Um, And I'm like, oh, okay. Like it reaffirmed the idea that if I'm smaller, I'll be liked more. I'll be more popular. I'll have more friends. um, I'll belong more. And um, that was like the very first. And the crazy thing that sticks out to me from that diary entry was, I hope it works. Because I'm like, oh man, if I could go back to her and tell her like, girl, you're in for a ride, like for (laughs) years and years and years. I just did like all the diets. Like there was like Atkins and there was South Beach. I'm probably dating myself in like the era I lived in, um, you know, because they're fads. They change all the time. There was like Suzanne Summers and like don't eat fruit with something else. Like eat it on an empty stomach, which was a rule that I followed for like years. Like yeah. for four years, I would not have fruit with anything else. Like it, crazy, crazy. Um, and so that's kind of what got me started on the dieting journey. And there was always that feeling of something's wrong with me because I'm like, why can't food be peaceful? Why can't I just be strong enough? Why can't I, you know, have enough discipline? I'm so weak. And I I can't even tell you how many times I would literally cry after a binge. Like I am gross. I'm disgusting. I'm just these horrible, horrible things thinking that I am the problem that it's not working. And for me, what I used to think why people admire thin people and I think this is still, this is true to an extent. I thought the admiration for someone who's thin is they're strong right. because they have enough self-discipline to be healthy, to eat healthy and to not eat all, you know, the desserts or whatever it is. And therefore they're thin. And that's why people admire it so much because it's hard and it's supposed to be hard. That's what I thought. I, I believe that, yep, this is life. Like it's not, it's not easy and you got to put in the work. And like a lot of, especially since my nature is kind of that overachiever style, which I think so many dietitians are. Totally. Um, it was like, 
what do you mean? Like, of course it's hard. And that's what's so amazing about it when you reach your goal. And that's why it's so admired because you're so disciplined. Um, And so there was just like a lot of self-shaming and um, thinking I'm alone in it. Which is crazy to me now because now that you know we do this work, yeah. you see like there's millions of women sharing the same struggle. And yet, you know, the only time that I would talk about it with my friends was in a joking way, like, oh, you think you ate that much? Well, I swear, like I finished the whole cake. Oh my God, ha ha ha. Like, you know, oh, you think your hips are big? You know, you should see in a very like um self-deprecating, like joking way where we never really went past surface level, where it's like um, girl, I just like cried for a half hour hating myself. Like no one's going to actually share that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we talk about it, but like very surface level where we're kind of like sharing a bond in a way of how much is a struggle. Sometimes there's a laugh or like a rolling of, eye. Oh, I know it's so hard. Um, but really that's just like covering up really deep struggles and pain. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of my journey throughout like my teens, trying another thing, another thing. And I remember, I think my first glimpse of intuitive eating without knowing it's intuitive eating, not for myself, but a friend, I was um, 18 and I went away to Israel for a year abroad to study. And we were, um, you know, in apartments sharing, you know, roommates sharing with um, other girls and a roommate, apartment mate of mine got a bag of chocolates from her parents they sent her a bag of chocolates, like little mini bars. And um, she had asked me if I want a piece. And of course, I'm like, I was in my good phase, right? Because you're either on or off. I was being on and good. And I'm like, no, because I'm like, I'll spiral. Um, And there was all all this like, no, like not having trust in yourself when you binge eat. And um, so then I saw her take a piece of chocolate, like one of the mini chocolate bars, (laughs) eat it and put the rest away. And I was like, what? Like kind how? of psychopath. I yeah. I, I actually asked her, I'm like, how are you able to just have one? Like that is insane. And she just looked at me like so confused. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, I wanted one. I'm satisfied. And I put the rest away. And she wasn't even aware of what a gift she had, where somehow she was speared diet culture. Um, and at 18, she had a healthy relationship with food mm. and she was an intuitive eater. Yeah. Like it's so weird to see that someone naturally just growing up and like that. And I remember I thinking like, I wish I had that and believing that it's like, she's some kind of unicorn where now I know that, no, you're, you don't need to be a unicorn to be able to have a piece of chocolate and move on. And that knowledge is so freeing, not only in me being able to do that, but like having people know, like, girl, this is possible for you. Like, it's not that you're broken. It's just that, you know, you've never been taught anything else. And so I remember that was kind of my first glimpse, but then, um, I always knew I wanted to do something with food. So, you know, my relationship with food kind of continued that way. I think the next kind of stage where I got more in tune with intuitive eating aspect of things is when I came back from that year abroad in Israel. Um, and it's kind of like the concept of the freshman 15, So, you know, in the Orthodox, like Jewish world, it's called seminary, what what we call it when we go to Israel. Um, And everyone jokes about how you gain weight in Israel when you do that year. And, you know, your schedule is all crazy and there's so much good food. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because literally 90% of people do gain weight. Um, And I think a lot of it is also because of the unhealthy relationship with food because you're in scarcity mindset. Like, oh, this is the last chance for me to enjoy good food. you're also 18. Like your body could still be changing. <laughs> and you could also just be gaining weight anyway. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, and so I remember when I got back 
it was the first time I realized anytime I think of the word diet, I just want to eat everything, right? Mm, like that restriction. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know, I didn't know anything about intuitive eating yet, but I just knew that the word diet can't be in my vocabulary anymore. However, so it's interesting because I still aim to lose weight. And that was my goal, but it was a lot less extreme in the sense of like, okay, I'm going to just listen. I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. I'm going to stop when I'm full. And I always know that all these yummy things, I could always have them another time. And so I kind of at the point without, without knowing it, um, I was doing a certain level of intuitive eating, but it was still turning it into a diet, which is why I had a really blissful period with food. Almost like you can say what felt like a healthy relationship for about eight months. And that's when it started to derail because I started to have the cookies more and then get into all or none mentality because I was using parts of intuitive eating, but it wasn't truly intuitive eating because it was all on the condition that I would lose weight. Cause I did lose weight. I, I, I lost like a noticeable amount of weight from that. Um, but then I started to regain it over a period of two years um, because I was back in that yo-yo cycle again. Right. Cause I hadn't really, you know, the body respect piece of it. I had no clue about set weight point, um, you know, emotional eating, all those, all the pieces that were still missing. I didn't have. Um, and so then, so that was where I was in my journey and things did get better. Like it wasn't as bad as my teen years, um, because I was becoming more aware of my body, but it wasn't fully there. Um, and so then I went to college to study, to be a dietitian. And in a way there was almost a little bit more shame in that because the more I learned about nutrition and the more I binged, the more there was like, I'm such a fraud. Like I'm supposed to be teaching people to eat healthy. And there were a lot of things that I learned about health, you know, like pairing carbon protein and like nutrients and all those things that I loved. Cause you know, part of, I, I kind of always share this with friends and family. When I talk about what I do, it's like, I almost want to talk a little bit more about nutrition on my Instagram page because I miss it. Like, cause when the people I'm meeting who follow me on Instagram a lot, they're at a point where if I talk a lot about nutrition, they take it as food rules, right? Right. They it's like, oh, co-opted. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I always, most of the content I talk about is like how to stop binge eating those, those, like the more of the beginning phase, I do talk about nutrition and stuff, but most of the time I'm talking about how to the the beginning parts of healing the relationship with food. And the thing is like, I'm such a nerd for nutrition science and health and all those things. And I think it's so cool. Um, And so that's really like my, the combination of my love for eating and food, um, plus my struggles with eating and food and body image, plus my love of the science all together was like the perfect package of, I'm going to go learn to be a dietitian and fix my problems so I could help everyone else with their problems. Um, and to the extent it did, it did help me in like understanding nutrition and how to eat balance. But on top of that, I was still having my binge eating and still struggling and all of that. Um, and so I kind of feel like it's intertwined with also what's going on with my life. Because when I was in college, I also got married. I met my husband, got married. I think for me, a big part of my body image, although I had ways to go and I know it's different for everybody, but meeting my husband was a very big part of like healing my body image because Mm -hmm. it proved to me literally all my life. I thought like guys just want like thin 
girls like like the Victoria's Secrets model you know mm-hmm. um I truly I truly believe that especially in the movies you know anyone who's watched like the 90s and 2000s early 2000s movies you have the girl who's like with her frumpy glasses and her frizzy <laughs> ear and then she comes down the stairs and she has makeup and her hair's gorgeous and you can see her like you know figure and all of that from her back and then suddenly the guy notices her yeah. which is such BS I can't even like in real life you know um and so that was really really like recognizing like oh my gosh like it's I really don't need to be this like you know uh, super thin like Victoria's Secrets Secrets model um and I also made the decision that I just don't want my body image issues and struggles to be modeled into my marriage now everyone's different some people find it super helpful to talk it out with their partner um and that's fine there's no one way to healing it's not linear I'm just sharing my journey so don't like I don't feel like you, mm-hmm. you need to do what I do. Absolutely not. Um, you know, and like with our clients as well, like everyone has such a different kind of path, although it's very overlapping and similar. So for me, I made the decision of I'm not going to give it a voice anymore. And it was helpful for me because I didn't like obsess about it as much anymore. Because I remember in my teen years, just ask my mom, my poor mom, <laughs> like, <laughs> and literally every day I'd be like, did I gain weight? Did I lose weight? Did, oh, you know, does this yeah. look good? Does that literally every day until the point where she was like, you're driving me nuts. Yeah. Like, I love you, but you're driving me nuts. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like literally. And here it was such a freedom to like not have that be an obsession that I'm asking all day. Am I this? Am I that? Am I th-? I'm like, you know what? Just shut it down. I'm not going to give it my time of day. And so of course I still had those negative thoughts and struggles, but I don't think it ever got as bad anymore because I'm like, I, uh, one, because I, he, I could really like, see like it was, I did not need to be this, like to be loved. Yeah. To be loved, which was like such a relief. And also I'm like, I, this is, this is not the thing that I want to, you know, make, well, marriage is about so much more, but I just didn't want it, you know, muddling my marriage in that way, which of course it might be different for someone else. I'm using words that resonate with me. You might feel completely different. Um, and so that was like a step. Then, um, after that, I had my first kid definitely did diet stuff, which is interesting enough. I learned from, from college to do like I did at the time. I didn't know it was macro counting. It was Mm -hmm. a diabetes exchange system, which is pretty much carb can- macro counting right about it but I was doing it without knowing I was doing it which I will say in a way was a stepping stone to healing my relationship with food um, and again I think it's different for everyone for some people the macro counting is detrimental and makes it worse um, and then for me what helped me with it was it really helped me become more aware of like my fullness cues because for so long fullness for me was overeating where I started to realize I actually don't need to eat that much to feel comfortably full. And that was helpful for me. But again, don't take that advice. If that's right. don't go start counting macros. There's another no, don't path. Go start yeah. counting macros. Cause I know people who's been really damaging too. And the thing is also that it did not heal my relationship with food because as much as it gave me that little awareness in the long run, I still continued and started binge eating because I did lose a lot of weight after my first. Um, I think part of it was also from nursing. Um, but then the, when I started to start eating a lot again, um, I got pregnant with my second. So it was like mass with the weight gain of the second. So like, you know, you, you didn't really like see right. at least this is all, by the way, this is all my self narrative. This is yeah. not anything anyone told me, right. of course. Right. As always. Um, and so 
that was like my second pregnancy. I graduated, did my dietetic internship and all of that. And then about a few months after I had my second one, my friend um, also had, she also became a dietitian. She also had her second kid and we were both obsessing two dietitians obsessing about their weight and you know, all of that. Um, and so even though I was in a much healthier place at that point, cause like, I remember I'm like, I'm never putting anyone on a 1200 calorie diet. I'm never doing anything extreme. Um, and what was interesting is that when I started seeing people for, they would come to me for weight loss. And I always said, I'm not anything extreme. Like that's something I opted out a long time ago, but you know, they would be eating very balanced, like very balanced. And then some of them didn't gain weight, but they didn't lose weight. Their weight was kind of like stalled and they didn't understand why they're like, Oh my God, I'm doing everything right. Quote unquote. And then for me as a dietitian, I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Like I'm supposed to, I promised them weight loss, like what's happening. And then I started to kind of, they felt failure and I felt failure for failing them. And it was just like, not, not a good situation. I'm like, what's going on? Like something doesn't make sense because they are eating what you would call well-balanced nutritiously, you know? Um, and that, and then at the same time, I was also, you know, on my way to healing my own relationship with food and there were parts missing. And then my friend had shared with me this fellow dietitian. She's like, I just read this book into an eating. It's amazing. You have to read it. And I'm like, okay, I'll read it. And um, to be honest, the first chapter, it was like really boring for me. The first chapter, first two chapters. I'm like, I, I can't get through this. But then about a month afterwards, I'm like, okay, let's read this. And then I like devoured it in like two days. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'm getting this. Um, and that's when like so much of it clicked. And because as you can hear, um, I had already been doing so many parts of the healing from like 19 and bits and pieces without knowing it, that by the time I read the intuitive eating book, it really quick clicked quickly for me, especially because yeah. I learned, you know, to be a dietitian and I understood the nutrition piece of it. And so really quickly, like I adapted to it for myself. Um, I think the part that I continued to work on for a long time was the gentle nutrition where I, you know, there was this feeling of like, um, and I find this happens with my clients a lot too, when you're like, I could eat everything. So it's like, oh, I'm not in a diet. I could eat it. So, so I can like, just eat it. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. think twice. I'm not on a diet. I'm just going to have it. Um, and being able to come to a place where there's cake and know genuinely, do I want it or not? And to be able to say no, to have the freedom to say no. Cause I think so often in intuitive eating, it's like, it's the freedom to say yes. Right. Um, we think if we say no, we're dieting again. And that piece for me took a bit of a while. That's the part I think I worked on the most once I learned about the intuitive eating approach and journey. Um, and so that's something that I had worked on to be able to be like, okay, there's a piece of cake, but do you really want it? Does it make sense to have it now from a place of freedom to be like, nope, I'm not going to have it now knowing that I could very well say yes if I want to and not feel like, oh my God, I'm on a diet if I say no. Right. Um, so that's kind of been my journey. And then that's when I started to implement it. Then the whole journey of like coaching clients with it is a whole right. other one, but that's my yeah. personal journey. Um, I think I said, <laughs> tried to do it as detailed as possible. Yeah, No, you I gave amazing have. detail. I, I, I love it. It's so, I always love hearing people's stories. It's always so interesting to me. And there's one piece of your story that, I love so much the moment in Israel with the roommate having the chocolate and just mm. being like, what? Like, it's just so radical to see that happen. And that really resonates for me. Same thing. I was like 18 in college and had two best friends who and similarly, like somehow escaped unscathed by diet culture. And I was like, right. what? They would just get what they went to the dining hall. And they 
get fries and like just have some and then just like also have salad or like, like how else. are you and doing like, that yeah and it was like <laughs> to see someone modeling intuitive eating without even knowing that that's what it was called I think was was so like such a light bulb for me of like oh there's other possibilities of how to relate to food that's so cool I'm so happy that resonated because I think that if anyone's listening you know well if anyone people are listening but to the people <laughs> who are listening um you know, don't think that if you, I'm sure, you know, someone in your life who's able to do that. Yeah. Um, And don't think that that's not possible for you. Or I think what's really important to mention too, is that we might sometimes see people who are thin doing that. And then for me, at least in the past, it would have been like, oh, they're thin, they could eat whatever they want. And so that's why like, it's all fine. When in reality, there's body diversity, and everyone could eat the same and still look different. And so, you know, it's not just your thin friend that's able right. to do that. It's yeah. a, a possible for everybody, whatever size you are. Yeah. Thank you for adding that piece. That's really important. So just a little bit more kind of detail on the, the piece about learning about intuitive eating. So your friend shows you this book and it takes you like a month to come around to really reading it. Do you remember having any initial thoughts of resistance or was it like you said, you had already experienced pieces of it? So it was like immediate yes. No resistance that exactly because I had done so much of the work unknowingly that's towards eating intuitively. Like when I was 19 and I realized diet makes you just want to eat everything and listening to my hunger fullness cues. And then for me, again, when I did macro counting a little bit more about the awareness of my cues um, and then my body image when I got married and had kids, um, I had already. And by the way, this is a journey of since I was 19. So and then I read the intuitive eating book when I was 26. This is a seven year journey, Mm -hmm. you know? So don't, I don't want to make it sound like, yeah, I did this and that. And then within like three months, it's all good. Like I had done it piece by piece. I could have done it. I think faster if I would have known if I would have read the book earlier, but I also think there's a readiness piece that everyone needs to be at. Cause some people will read the book and literally three years later, like I've had clients like that too. Um, and I'm assuming that, that you might yeah. have also where the book was read, you follow all the accounts, but if you're not ready, you're not ready yeah. and you can't make somebody ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was the opposite where the book was the last piece where for some people it's the first piece. So that's why I think I didn't have the resistance because I had learned to also be a dietitian. And I had just gone through so much trying to figure things out on my own that the book was kind of the, the, the closing piece to, yeah. to already like, you know, a necklace that I'm assembling mm-hmm. and you just got to <laughs> keep it together and put the closing on. I like that metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My mother told it to me once about, I don't remember what. She was like, all your years of high school and childhood are like another pearl on a necklace, Um, which I think actually she got the med- the the analogy from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who's like all the years of childhood and um, high school, all that, all the education, everything, it like builds up. It's another pearl on the necklace, on the strand. And then the year, I think she was comparing it to the year that I went abroad to Israel to study. And to it was kind of for me a bridge from childhood to adulthood, which was super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like that closer, the, the you know, that little last yeah, thing that we all get annoyed by yeah. in class. That's like so annoying. <laughs> um, it, it um, It's that the one that closes and holds all the pearls together. Oh, I love that. 
So, yeah, I thought it was so beautiful. So it's kind of the same thing for me in my intuitive eating journey. The book wasn't a pearl. Like for some people, it's a pearl on the strand. For me, it came at a time where the pearls were all there and I just needed that closing to hold it together. Mm, That was my personal journey. Yeah. And from your story, it's like you had the lived experience. You didn't have to doubt it. It was like, yeah, I know diets don't work. I've lived that for seven years. I don't need to be convinced on this. This this is just putting language to your experience. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Putting language to experience. That's so powerful because we so often experience things and we just can't articulate like what it is. And we think we're the only ones. And then I think that's what the intuitive eating book is for so many people of the binge eating where it feels so lonely. And it's like, oh no, this is what it is. Right. And I am not right. alone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it was for me too. It was just like, I didn't know there were words to describe my experience, which tells me I'm not alone because there's a whole book about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which is yeah. like amazing, but also super sad. Yeah. <laughs> think about it. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's good not to feel alone. Yes. So important. So shifting gears a little in across your content, I've been following you for years. I don't even know. I, I wish you could see when you start following someone. Wouldn't that be like it's so cool. interesting? Very cool. Yeah. Um, But there's no function to do that. So across your content, um, I've seen you share over the years about sort of this intersection of intuitive eating and religious dietary restrictions and kind of like how we can distinguish like a diet rule from a rule coming from a different place, a different intention. So I'd love to just hear you kind of speak on how are religious dietary restrictions, whether it's like fasts or specific food rules within a culture or religion, different from dietary restrictions. Yeah, that's such a good question. I love it because it's new. This is a nuanced conversation. And I think that's what we lack so much. It's hard to bring nuance to Instagram, Oh yeah. Um, especially when you're meeting only one post. And in order to get the full contents, you need to actually read the three posts before and you're not doing that. So yes. Okay. A lot of the differences in general, before we even get to religious aspect of things, um, is the intention because you can have a behavior that's diet culture um, that will be diet culture, right? Like let's say meal planning is something that's simple. So diet culture is very big on meal planning, you know, plan your meals X, Y, Z in this way. The thing is diet culture doesn't own meal planning. So you absolutely can meal plan in an intuitive way. It's about your intention. Meal planning could actually help you honor your hunger cues in time. Um, You know, it could help actually heal your relationship with food in getting your cues back. Um, but where it's different is the intention. You're like, oh, I'm going to meal plan because my day is really busy and I'm going to care for my body and I need something ready. And I'm not tied down to, oh, I can only have this meal plan from this diet book. You have more freedom to choose the, the items that you like. Um, and so that's, first of all, with anything, intention really matters and mindset really matters. And so when it comes to the religious aspect of things, I'm going to talk um, on the kosher aspect first, right? Okay. So I keep kosher. So I'm going to talk about personally for me and from what I know from my friends and stuff. And I will say that the, this part I'm sharing as someone who grew up eating kosher. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't like non not religious eating all the not kosher food and then coming back to religion and having the restriction from that place. My restriction started from the womb, right? Like I always was not eating those foods. And the way I see it is that the restriction is not about my body size at all. I think that's where so much of the struggles come from with food is that can you boil it down to body size? Okay. That's probably why these struggles are there. Um, for me, it was, first of all, not even an option in terms of like my, you know, ethics and values. I don't have a relationship with those foods is the best way I can put it. Like shrimp, 
honestly, shrimp looks delicious. Like, especially in the commercials where it like bounces. Bounces. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when yeah. they throw it on the plate and it just looks so good. Um, and so, yeah, of course you could hear me as I'm talking. I'm like, oh my God, it looks so good. But it's not, um, not, I don't have a relationship with that food. If I see it in mm-hmm. front of me, I'm not like, should I have it? Should I not have it? It's like, no, that's, it's like almost an identity for me where it's like, I'm not having that. And it's not because the food is good or bad in terms of nutritional content. It's not because it's um, going to make me gain weight or lose weight. It's a completely different mindset. And so that's the best way that I could explain it for myself, because it's the same thing. I think also with vegans, where if you're a vegan, because it it genuinely hurts you to see, you know, to know that a cow was slaughtered to, and then eat their meat. That's a completely different way of restricting. And it's so much more in alignment with who you are and your values than, oh, I'm going to be vegan because it's the healthiest way. And I need to lose weight. And like that starts to become diet culture. Yeah. So both with kosher and with vegan, um, you know, I think with medical restrictions, it's a little bit, a little bit different. Um, but if we're talking specifically about religious aspect of things, it's, not it's it's hard in a sense where let's say I went um a month after my husband and I got married, we did a month like honeymoon in Central America. And we, you know, there's not in Brooklyn, you have tons of kosher right. food, like all <laughs> kinds. Honestly, you're not deprived at all. Like you have, especially now the food scene is getting better and better with the restaurants. So it's like almost, you know, super close to what you see in all of the world. Um, and so, but when we went to Central America, it's really not as re- readily available. And I remember once we were on a trip to like some hike in some ran crazy hope it's place in town. Um, and we did not prepare well and we needed something to eat. So we went into one of the shops and the only like pretty much kosher thing was like a box of Pringles and a can of corn. And that's <laughs> what I had for dinner. Um, and so, but um, did I want something better in terms of you know, nourishment and like feeling good. Cause it's not like the most amazing feeling to have a box of Pringles for dinner, like physically. Um, sure. But was I like, should I have the other things? Am I upset? It's like, no, this is just my way of life. This is mm-hmm. what I chose. Yeah. You no, know, it's beyond even the relationship with the food. You know, if you're a religious person and spiritual person for me, it's like, it's my relationship with God. It's my relationship mm-hmm. with myself. Um, and so like everything, always food is always more than just the food, mm. regardless of if you're religious or not. Um, you know, so often how we eat is a reflection like of our life. Like if your life is more chaotic, it's probably harder to eat in a more organized way. And maybe you get a little bit more mindless, but, but then people blame the food and they're like, Oh, I'm just eating mindlessly. And it's like, girl, like, look, look at your life, right? If your life is like chaotic right now, for whatever reason, you know, you need to find a way to de-stress and to center yourself. And by default, the rest of it will fall into place because mm-hmm. food is a reflection of your eating. But I think that we went off on a tangent on there. Um, but my point was, is that it's always more than just the food. And so for me, keeping kosher, um, it's it's annoying sometimes, to be honest, and maybe stressful if like I'm traveling to a place that doesn't have kosher food and I have to pre-plan. Or right. when I go on vacations, a lot of times, um, you know, other people I know can just pick up and take some snacks and go eat at a restaurant there. And I'm like, okay, is there anything kosher there? Oh, no. Okay. So I have to like get really savvy in how I'm packing right. my food. Um, and so honestly, I mean, I, I do it because I want to. I won't say it's not annoying. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't damage my relationship with food because it comes from a freedom of choosing to. And it's not about 
body size. Yeah. Does that do you feel like that answer? Absolutely. Fully? Yes, absolutely. I mean, intention is such a huge part of what you just shared. And another piece that I'm picking up on is almost like the difference being that there's not a feeling of deprivation. It's not like, oh, I really want this non-kosher food. It's it's it, there's no it's not deprivation. It's just like this is what I'm doing. Like like you said, and and I think that's what makes something like this um just it's not like you're swimming upstream to to maintain it because it's not like you're trying so hard to abstain. It's just like, this is just what I do. Does that feel true? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the deprivation piece, I do the deprivation. I feel if I'm being honest, it's not a deprivation. I think when you say deprivation, when people hear deprivation, it's like, oh my God, I want that piece of cake and I can't have it. And I'm so deprived. Mm -hmm. That's one type of deprivation. I think for me sometimes is like if I'm going to travel and the thing is, it's also notice how I'm, I'm not talking about my day to day, my day to day. I don't feel deprived at right. all because it's not just my home has all the foods that I want. I have right. groceries like I I have everything that I need. Um, it's more so like when I travel, like my let's say I have a dream to travel to Greece or like I love traveling and I love trying the culture and everything. And I always say this to my husband and like people I'm like. Oh, it sucks that I can't have like authentic Greek food mm, from Greece. Like yeah. that is annoying. Right. Um, but it's a sacrifice that I chose to do like with my life. And is that a sense of deprivation? Yeah. But the deprivation is not I'm abstaining from it. And it's so hard. Right. That's not the depri- it's not hard to abstain from it. It's more so the experience that I wish I had. Yeah. Um, but also knowing that, OK, like, you know, every every lifestyle, no matter what you do, you're when you're choosing a certain path, that's the path you chose. Right. Um, and so that's also why I look for places that do have like kosher food in that. Like I know in Italy, they have some places that are kosher, like authentically. Um, that's why I love going to Israel. Cause I'm like, it's the one other country that mm-hmm. I can have like all this cultural food and it's all kosher and it's amazing. Um, so yes, it's true that I don't feel deprived in that sense where it's like, Oh my God, I have to abstain. Um, it does sometimes feel annoying that like I can't experience all of like the cultural aspect of things. Um, but I'm at peace with that. Yeah. And it's not like this huge challenge to like, don't have the cake, don't have the cake. It's like, well, it's not an option. Like, right. Hey, great. It looks good. It smells good. But yeah. I'm not having an internal battle like when I'm on a diet where the option is there and you have to hold yourself back. Right. Thank you for clarifying with the deprivation because it's I, I appreciate your like transparency with like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> it does feel depriving and that's just what it is. Um, but I think that the piece of about deprivation almost comes back to intention if like you're not depriving yourself with the intention of weight loss it's just like this isn't this isn't part of of my world so it's it's the back to the intention yeah and it's more so the deprivation of the cultural experience not the food item itself um like you said it's not like i feel like i'm working so hard to abstain it's more like bummer i'm in greece and i want to have like cultural food in greece even though hello i have never been to greece it is on my goal on my list of places to go um so it's more so experience related yeah. But, you know, the, I also think it's equally important to recognize as much as I love food and so much of the world does revolve around food, you know, you're in a healthy place with food when you realize that not everything is revolving around food. Like when we're doing, when I did date night with my husband and stuff, like I personally love to go try out new restaurants, but it was equally as nice to be like, you know what, we're going to eat dinner at home and just go for a walk and there's no food involved. And that's okay. Cause not everything has to be revolving around yes. food all the time. Yeah, I love that. It's so true and such a marker of healing your relationship with food mm-hmm. of like you have other things going on in your brain. So something I want to circle back to is, is so we're talking about intention and I think we're kind of talking about it like 
almost in like a black and white way. Like either it's like purely from a, a from a spiritual place or a religious place or from like a disordered place. But what I've seen and, and also kind of experienced firsthand myself is like mm, a little bit of both. Like I, mm-hmm. I've seen with clients like I'm a vegan like because I care about animals, but also like low key. I hope this like gives me a socially acceptable way to restrict and you know no one will ask me questions because I'm a vegan. Um, and then with the with the religious component, and I want to talk a little a little bit about fasting. Um, I, I can share. So I'm also Jewish, and we have different relationships with Judaism. But you know, I grew up with the opportunity to fast on, on Yom Kippur was, was like a thing in, in my family. And, you know, it came into my life at a time where I was also wanting to shrink my body. And I remember very clearly being like, oh, perfect. A day where no one will question me if I don't eat anything and I'll get to save up the calories. Definitely doing that, you know? So I think that this I talk about nuance, it can get even like trickier when it's like, well, it's sort of kind of for the this like spiritual reason or religious reason, but also I have this low key intention that it will have this other effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or not low key. Like for me, it was high key. obvious. Yes. Like, high key. <laughs> like when I was before I was a dietitian intuitive and all that, I was, I, and it was like the talk of the table, like, okay, great. We're going to save our calories. And then it was like, also the reason why I would binge after. Cause I'm like, oh, I saved all my calories. I can eat now and great. I'll lose weight. But then like, I would always be bummed because then I'd end up binge eating. And it was like, definitely, definitely, definitely that. Um, which by the way, like even the, the weight loss you have from like starving yourself, like that is a lot like water and water muscle. Yeah, and exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, you know, get real with yourself? First of all, by being aware of your thoughts and being real with yourself, also recognizing that being real with yourself and having those thoughts doesn't mean you're bad. Like don't panic. If you have that thought so much of like the healing process, it's not about like, Oh, I should be thinking this way. It's more so can I be aware and how am I going to react to this thought? Because I think even if someone has healed the relationship with food, like I'll, you know, have clients and you can, you know, share if you've had as well, where they've healed so much of their relationship with food and they'll have great body image days and and all the things. And then maybe Yom Yom Kippur comes around and they're like, oh my God, am I regressing? Like I had this thought of like, I'm going to lose weight from it. And like, oh my, and they panic that they're reverting back to diet culture. And I want to say that thoughts our thoughts, like they don't mean that you're acting upon them. They will happen. Sometimes we have intrusive thoughts, um, you know, and I will say even now, like I will once in a while also have a thought like that. Like, Absolutely. listen, I'm a dietitian. I do this. Like I just had my fourth baby. I have my bad body image day sometimes, but it's how you respond to them. Right. It's the skill set you have. It's how fast you come back from it. Um, it's, is it, is it de- like, you know, impacting your life in a negative way? Is it distressing you? You know, if all the answers are no, it's not distressing me. It's not, you know, I'm not going to act upon it. It's like, okay, well, then you had a thought yeah. and you could observe that thought almost looking like a passing train, like, oh, oh, there's the diet culture thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know where that comes <laughs> from. Cool. I'm going to let you pass and like have a nice day. Right. You know, instead of panicking and then spiraling and then thinking something's wrong with you, of course, you know, it depends. Some people, it will just, dis- di- you know, distress them and we need to address it. But I just want to set the baseline in. Don't aim for perfection where you're never going to have another diet culture thought again. Um, That doesn't mean that you are in like some kind of unhealthy place necessarily, but it does start with being aware of your thoughts, recognizing, are you getting an emotional reaction from it? Are you starting to feel stress in your body? Mm -hmm. You know, are you scared to eat certain foods? Are you thinking about it all Yom Kippur? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very different also from someone who has disordered eating, Versus someone who has an eating disorder, which by the way, if you have an eating disorder, like talk to your team about it. Don't feel bad if you can't fast on Yom Kippur, because, you know, I think this is such a powerful statement. Um, you know, if you're a 
God-fearing person and spiritual. And I've always, I grew up learning that God needs you to be healthy first in order to observe all of his commandments. Um, and that's like number one priority. Like most things in Judaism, most things, there are certain exceptions, but most things in Judaism, your health comes first Mm -hmm. because you can't serve and you can do all these things. Um, if, if you're not healthy and so definitely, definitely with fasting, um, I, I don't know a single like rabbi talk to your rabbi. I'm not a rabbi. Uh, which I'm actually like listening to myself talk. And I'm like, wow, I sound so like spiritual, which by nature, by the way, I'm really, I'm not like I am, but I'm like, typically like these conversations are, you know, I have with my clients, but I don't often talk about them in like, uh, on a big platform kind of way, but it are, they are things that I, I believe. And I know to be true and that, um, your health does come, does come first. Yeah. So don't feel bad about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love this piece about just getting real with yourself, having those like quiet, honest moments of like, what is my intention here? And if my intention is coming from a place where it's like really not going to be healthy for me, then it's okay to abstain from this. And like you're saying, like my health comes first. And if it's going to be deeply damaging to my physical and mental health, given where I'm at on my journey, then like that's okay. Or, and if it's, if it's coming from a place of, you know, you're, you're further along and more healed in your journey, but you still have those little thoughts, like those little trains shooting by of like, Ooh, well, like maybe I'll lose weight. Like that's okay too. It it, it doesn't have to be like, uh, always we talk about, it doesn't, this isn't black and white. Like it's the gray area. It's the both. And like, I have this intention and also there's this other Mm -hmm. thought coming in and that's okay. And then one thing I want to add, because I know that some people, a lot of people see Yom Kippur, like the biggest thing that it's known for. I mean, it's the holiest day of the year, but the biggest thing it's like, it's the fasting day you fast. Like it's very serious. And I think a lot of people attach the, the spirituality and the importance of it to fasting, but recognize that there are so many other ways that you can feel the spirituality and have it be a day of meeting. You know, there's prayer and there's like, you know, there's lots of others, you know, observances around this day. Um, But fasting is not the one only thing that this day has to do, you know? Um, So don't feel like if you're not fasting, it can't be a meaningful day. There's, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's your relationship with God that is personal. It's nobody else's business. Your health is priority. And it absolutely can still be a meaningful spiritual day um, with without fasting. Like there's other yeah. ways for that to happen. So I just wanted to put that in there for anyone who feels like if I'm not fasting, that's not meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like that is not true. Yeah. At all. Thank you for adding that piece. I, I absolutely love that. And again, looking at like, what's my intention for this day? Like, is it do I want it to be a reflective day? Like, what do I want to get out of this? And uh, there's other ways of arriving at that if fasting isn't going to support where you're at in, in, you know, your mental health, your physical health. Yeah, absolutely. Which one thing, by the way, I wanted to circle back to about um, the, what was it? Oh, like using the vegan or kosher or things like that as food rules, which I kind of like smiled internally because I remember, and I know this is true for so many people who keep kosher, um, where we can't have milk and meat together. And if you have something that's meat or like chicken right. or something like that, um, you have to wait a few hours before eating dairy. And so I remember when we we're younger, um, not even younger as adults, like I know people do this all the time. They're like, okay, I'm going to eat the meat so that I can't have the cheesecake. Mm. Like they'll use 
the religious aspect of things to restrict and be like, okay, well now I can't have, and they're not going to have the cheesecake because they, you know, if they're observant in that way, they're they're not going to, from a values place, allow themselves to eat the the cheesecake. But like you said, with like the vegan and all that, like low key, not low key, actually high key, because Mm -hmm. we're acting like this is literal conversations I'd have with my friends. Like, okay, let's eat the chicken because the cheesecake looks so good. And it's so tempting. So this way, if we have it, we really can't have the cheesecake. And then like, it's almost easier to abstain because you're, but you're using the religion as food rules. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that happens also, like, you know, like you said, with vegan or things like that. Um, And I think with things like that, again, it's being aware. You have to first be aware of what you're doing. Like, hey, do I actually really want the cheesecake? So why am I not allowing myself to have a cheesecake? Like, why am I finding ways to restrict in this way? You know, Um, and I think that's with everything, with anything you're working on, it starts with being aware of your thoughts and then choosing like, hey, how can I reframe? How can I react and respond and act differently? And I think also with the fasting, I actually had a client like that who she had, she wasn't quite anorexic, but she was super, super restrictive. Um, And for her, her, with her personality, you know, it also goes based on personality. Like she was more prone to being restrictive and we had worked on eating enough and all of that. And um, Yom Kippur was coming up and she's like, Rachel, like I am, you know, I'm worried that this is going to derail me or that like I'm getting excited for it or things like that. And let's just be clear. She was in a healthy enough place to fast. Like, you know, not everyone could or should. So this is very specific to her case. And what we talked about, what we reframed is like, look, are you just willingly choosing to fast? Like, are you, are you like, I'm going to just stick a fast day in here? No, you're not. Like, this is part of your like religious observance. Um, There's more reasoning for it. So one recognizing in order to reframe that is saying like, I'm not actively choosing to fast. That would be different. Like if you're choosing to randomly fast on a day and call it spiritual, like that's odd. Like that's something off, right? Like what's going on? But here it's, you know, you've been doing it for years. It's part of your identity. You you do want to be religious and observe. Like it's coming from that. It's your intention. Mm-hmm. You know, we started off this conversation with talking about intention and it, it, it so often comes back to that. And like, yeah. okay, your intention isn't from the get-go, I'm going to fast to lose weight. Perhaps some of your you know, past thoughts are getting excited, right? Right. For yeah. it. But you can keep them in check and be like, you know, hey, you, like, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this right. for me, you know? Um, and knowing that it's also only one day, you get to eat before, you get to eat after. Mm-hmm. It's not going to last, you know, we're not now going on a starving streak. Yeah. Um, and of course, she was at a safe enough place to do that. So, of course, always, you know, speak to your provider and your team to make sure that you're in a safe enough place to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So much good nuance here. And I just think of the example with, um, it's interesting to hear the piece about choosing a meat meal so that like by default, you can't have so many desserts are dairy so that you can't have the dessert. Um, and I, I think about too, like the, the long haul of that, like, okay, so you didn't have the cheesecake or the ice cream, whatever it was, but like when you finally can have the dairy, maybe it's the next day, whatever, that feeling of deprivation is still alive and well. And that's when we see binges. So it's like, is this serving you in the long run? Yeah. It's going to bite back. And the craziest thing, I remember how many times this happened to me, I would have the meat not to have the cheesecake. And then it's really sucks because you still want something sweet, but you can't actually have the cheesecake now. So you end up eating all these like gross kind random. of cakes and cookies yeah. random and then you ended up and that was the worst part of it i'm like i ended up eating all these foods anyway i should have just had the cheesecake to begin with right and 
that's the same whether you keep kosher or not. Exactly. So often yes. we come back to, I should have just had that to begin with. Right. And it's now true, I'm you belly have, full of like random snacks that right, weren't satisfying. Right. It's like, feel so dumb. You're like, I had this chicken and meat and then like it didn't even didn't it didn't even work right you know um, right. but again it's true that's just how deprivation works whether you're religious or not exactly yeah so summarizing this kind of whole thing i think there's two big pieces one is the awareness like like i'm even this is even coming from maybe a disordered place maybe a glint maybe it's low key maybe it's high key or or maybe it's not if you went upon reflecting and then two is is really connecting to your intention um the, i think those are such good kind of concrete steps for people to to reflect themselves um in these situations yeah absolutely um and then just also observing your like your behavior like is this behavior okay i'm acting upon my thoughts i have the awareness i have the intention now i'm acting upon it does this feel aligned? Like what's going on as I'm acting upon it? Um, and so it's so funny because it's, it's not glamorous, you know, with diet culture so appealing because it's like do X, Y, Z that are tangible and visual mm-hmm. and like you can do them. And we, our brains like that black and white with here. Um, that's why I think it's so challenging for so many people to embrace this because it's like, Oh, I have to put in the work now. Of course people put in the work with dieting and stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's, you can see it here. It's like, Oh, I have to dig inside myself. Like that could actually be exhausting sometimes. So, but honestly, as not glamorous as it is, it is so empowering when you do that work. And I want to acknowledge that like everything we've spoken about here, you know, it's easy to talk about. And especially for us, you know, we've been through that journey. We're kind of like on the other side. And for someone who's just starting off, it might even sound like, Oh my God, this sounds like how the hell am I even going to get, like, even if I have the intention and the awareness and all of that, it's like, no, to give yourself patience. And, um, every you're, you might have a lot of thoughts, but just start with one. Like yeah. you don't have to now be aware of every single thought and every single, it's like, start with one, choose one to work on. And even though you might have all these other things come in and say, okay, I'll get to you. Like we'll right. work through it. Right. Let's just do it step by step. Um, and as unglamorous as it seems, the end result is super amazing. Super- I love that you said that. It is so much less glamorous. It's so much less tangible. It's just like, we're like, connect to your awareness and your intention yeah. versus like, here are the rules. It's like, exactly. like you're saying, your brain just doesn't like it as much. But I think in the long run, I know in the long run, it's so much more powerful and you feel that alignment in your life. And that is, you know, a million times more satisfying, gratifying than, you know, continuing to live in the diet yeah. mindset. Worth it. Worth it. Exactly. Worth it. Absolutely. I think is how it sums it up. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Um, I have a few really quick rapid fire questions Ooh. for you. What is your biggest diet culture pet peeve? Oh, God. Diet culture <laughs> pet peeve? Shoot. This is rapid. Guys, I'm not prepared for these questions. Um, diet culture pet peeve. Or one of them, because I'm sure you have a million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think when people use their own weight loss journey, and this is not a judgment on those people. I understand. I'm just saying like, it's like, if I can, you can too, without Mm -hmm. any consideration to somebody's financial ability, socioeconomic, like, you know, socioeconomic status, things like that, body diversity, their health. It's like, there's no nuance to it. It's like, oh, I can, you can too. And people feel like so horrible when they see like, oh, well, she was able to, and she was able to, and she was able to. And then now I can't kind of basically using your body to be like, I did it. So can you, right. Um, that's like really frustrating. Well, at the same time, 
I understand the people who are doing that. Yeah. Um, so I never like, I'm just not the type to like call out people in that way. Of course. Um, because everyone's coming from their own story. And I do think that we need to, I'm very big on this lately. Like I've been thinking about it. Social media is a very triggering place for a lot of people. How could it not be when you have so many different types of people and belief systems and all of that? And so if you're going on social media, my approach, like instead of me seeing a before and after picture of somebody and and them being like, well, I can't, so can you? And instead of me responding like, oh my God, you know, don't you know about biodiversity? <laughs> being like a key keyboard warrior, um, I kind of choose, I think it's much better to take ownership of your trigger and be like, oh, I'm triggered by that. First of all, unfollow, like mm-hmm. that's not but, content you should yeah, be following. And exactly. that's something that you can feel empowered by. And second of all, it's time to like go in like, okay, I was triggered. That upset me. Um, you know, what, what do I need to do here for myself to protect myself instead of, you know, so often I see those keyboard warriors where they're like attacking someone for doing that. And I get it. But at the same time, you're not going to change that person's mind and you're not going to help your own healing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, I know we kind of like went on a tangent from from a pet peeve. No, I mean, that's 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 a beautiful one. Like this idea of like weight loss is is a matter of choice and discipline and personal responsibility when really there's social determinants of health and so much beyond one's control as to like like when people are like buy this five hundred dollar supplement or something. It's like. Or like buy all these like fancy pricey, but like I went to Whole Foods just for fun ones. Like I don't typically shop there. We were just mm. passing by and we're like, let's just go and check it out. Cause I love, for me, like it's like a, it's like an amusement park going to like Trader Joe's and all these places. Cause like, I love, you know, I love food and love trying new things, but I came out of that shopping experience and I'm like, holy moly, yeah. most people cannot shop here. And all so these like, foods and so, so yeah, which is fine if you can afford it and love it. Cool. Like I'm not you know, putting people who have money down, that's good for you. But there is no nuance in that conversation with diet culture. And it makes people feel so bad about themselves. And even though you should take ownership of your own triggers and all of that, it's really hard to fight a system that way, which is constant. Like if I can, you can, without any consideration to what people actually can achieve, whether they could achieve weight loss or not, just the whole way it's presented is like, just, but it has no consideration to an actual human being in their practical real life situation. So, so important. I couldn't agree more with that pet peeve. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? Mm, I think for me, it's alignment. Mm. Like when you are aligned with yourself, you're automatically going according to your intuition when you go according to intuition you're aligned and when you're aligned you go according to your intuition like it's kind of like um interchangeable for me and so that's why i'm so drawn to intuitive eating because it's not just about the eating i really think it should be called intuitive living because when you're in alignment with your food and your body you have more space to be aligned with yourself you're more true to yourself and so much of what people have to overcome when they're learning to eat intuitively it's so much self-esteem work it's so okay. much self-worth work. It's reclaiming yourself and who you are beyond your body size. And when you stop, you know, I don't believe that we never ever care about what other people think. Like we're social creatures. So we're always going to care to an extent, but that shouldn't hijack your life. Like if you care about what people think to an extent where you cannot show up fully as yourself, like that's something to work on. And by default, you do that when you're working on body peace and intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And so leaning into your tuition in all aspects of life will help you live a more aligned life. And then 
that's where genuine happiness is. I think that's yeah. what we're all chasing. And when people are chasing diet culture, they think that's what's, that's what's going to make them happy. And that's why it's so convincing when in reality, how many you know people listening to this can even say, I got to my goal weight, I lost weight. And then I remember I still didn't like right. how this never enough. I still, yeah. right, I still needed to lose another five pounds. I still look, looked at pictures and, and now looking back, you're like, what was wrong with me? What? I would like kill for that body now. Um, and so that's because what we're all genuinely chasing is alignment yeah. with our values, with ourselves. And that's where happiness lies. Yeah. So I feel like this is not rapid fire. I'm no, like, no, it's okay. Fire. It's rapid fire is, is not even my style. Like I I'm also never rapid fire. I talk so much. So <laughs> I hear that what intuition is to you, it's alignment that now, how do you experience it? Like when you feel aligned in your body, like, how do you know, how, how does it, how does it come through? I feel centered. I feel calm. I feel joy. I feel content. Um, peace. Mm. It's like also the nervous, like your nervous system is very much connected to your thoughts and how you're living. My nervous system is just so like chill and calm. And Mm. there's just this like feeling of, and by the way, sometimes it's excited. So it's not calm, but it's like, it's a very positive feeling where, you know, I feel, how do you explain feeling happy? But feeling happy is not always like, I'm so excited and tripping. Yeah. It's like this just contentment. You know, I can only explain it's like, let's say, you know, when you're driving down a road and it's just so much greenery and suddenly your whole system relaxes and mm-hmm. you just feel so at like one and peace. It's kind of that feeling. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to be in that state, you know, especially like I have four kids. Like I'm definitely not in that state all the time. Right. But overall, the actions that you take in your life and in your business, they feel right. They feel centered. Mm -hmm. They feel like there's almost like you can, there's an invisible line between your head and your heart and your body that is just, you know, aligned, aligned, yeah, Yeah, like straight, like it (laughs) just connects smoothly because when you're not aligned, your brain is thinking something else and your heart feels something else. Mm. And that stress starts to come in. Yeah, I picture like an energetic channel that has like flow mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. like kinks in it where it's like nah, nah, like it can't get through. Exactly, exactly. When you're not aligned, your brain and your heart are kind of like in a tug of war, but you don't know it's a tug of war because you're so used to a state of like stress. Right. Even if it's low-key stress. Have, low you, key, stress. <laughs> have you ever played with magnets and like they're the wrong way and it's like that, like they're like yeah. not going together. Like I almost think of yeah. that between your brain and your heart. It's like, yeah. 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 Which by the way, feeling aligned doesn't mean that you have to know exactly how something's going to work out. Right. Like when I was talking to you about the mentorship program, I remember for a long time, why it took me so long to actually do it is because the whole time I was like, am I doing the right step? Should I do that? Cause I had another plan in mind that I might've done. And I'm like, should I, should I do like a membership instead? Or should I do this? I don't know. I need clarity. I need clarity. And it's like, I didn't need clarity. Like what I was looking for was certainty and you don't need certainty to feel aligned. You just need to do what feels right. And to allow yourself to know like, Hey, it might not work out, but, but I made this decision right now because what it's, what's right for me now. And I'll learn from it. If it doesn't work out alignment, doesn't mean, you know, for certain it's going to work out. It means you just take that next step that feels right to who you are and the life you want to live. Right. And sometimes it not working out is for your highest good. You needed to experience that or go down that road to understand something else. Yeah. But you stay aligned because you're like in that moment, I don't, you know, I know that I made the right decision that led me here. And so I'm at peace with it. Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out. Yes. I love that. Uh, So much beautiful nuance. Is there anything we missed? Anything else on your heart you're feeling called to share with the people? Oh my gosh. There's always something that I feel called to share. 
<laughs> I, I have it. another hour of things to share, honestly, especially with like, you know, the, the kosher stuff and the, and the, um, religious fasting and all of that. Um, and now that we're talking about alignment, oh my gosh, you could talk about that forever. But if I had one thing to kind of leave people with, it would be trust that you'll figure it out, even though it feels so messy, you know, it makes sense that it's messy. If you're starting from a place that's, you know, if you're at the start of your journey, especially there is so much noise in your mind. Um, and it's taken years for it to get to this place. That's why it's so stressful because we're not talking about one experience. We're talking about hundreds of experiences. I mean, think about how old you are. When was the first time you thought about diet culture? How many thoughts per day do you have about body size or food? Now, let's say it's 10 thoughts. You know, that would be good mm-hmm. for some people because <laughs> um, it's just endless. Um, times that by days in the year and then times that by how many years you're alive. That's an insane amount of times of thoughts that you're having it, which by the way, every time you think a thought again, it makes the neuro um, pathways in your brain stronger and stronger. And so it makes it harder and harder to break. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It totally is. Um, But the reason I'm sharing this as a takeaway is because please be kind and patient with yourself um, that it does take time and you are so capable of that. And don't believe that, oh my God, I'm a lost case because you're struggling. The struggle is the work. And if you need help, Definitely yeah. get, you know, work with a dietitian or so often it's a therapist that you need, like get help. Like if you're feeling stuck, that's not because of your neuropathways. It's because you're stuck. Like you need help, yes. you know? Um, but I guess the, the, the message overall is believe it's possible for you because it is be patient and kind with yourself. Um, and you know, Leah and I, and all the people who've done this work are not unicorns. It's possible for you too, yes. even though it might be messy. Messiness doesn't mean it's not working. Mm-hmm. Usually it means it is working because things need to get messier. I just moved and uh, my house was a total disaster when I moved. Obviously everything's in boxes and then you move everything else and it's in boxes and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a mess. This is so crazy. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it's a mess in order to then get to the next chapter in my life, organize right. things. And then it might take time, but then I'll have another beautiful home that's you know even better and nicer and organized. And so don't mistake the mess of the boxes, the mess of your thoughts as like, oh my God, I'm not getting there. Very often the messiness is the progress and is you know part of your journey to getting there. Yeah. So don't kind of give up on yourself. Such beautiful words of wisdom. I love that. And I love the tie-in to where you're at in life right now. Rachel, where can people find you to stay connected with you or learn more about your work? I usually typically love hanging out on Instagram at dietitian.rachelgoodman. I also have a YouTube channel, um, Rachel Goodman RD, Eat Free, Live Free. Um, I have a free guide. So I know we talked a lot about you know awareness and all of that. But if someone's like, okay, can you break this down for me, please? I have a free guide that does that for you step-by-step step, um, called Three Steps to Stop Feeling Out of Control with Food, which I'll I believe I shared the link with you. Yeah, I put it in the show notes. Um, and then I also have my website, rachelgoodnutrition.com with you know my programs and one-on-one coaching. And then for mentors as well, um, if it happens to be, I know this is not specifically for, for other professionals. I definitely have a know, lot of dietitians who listen to this though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I know other dietitians listen to other dietitian podcasts. Um, I have a free training, free video training. If you want to boost your confidence in coaching clients, because like we, we have this whole conversation and so much of it is nuanced. Right. Yep. And I think especially when you're starting off as a dietitian coaching in this approach, we need those pieces just as much. People would be surprised how much 
dietitian themselves when they're starting out, like the questions might also very often are similar to what the mm-hmm. clients are, which yeah. is why as a dietitian, you need to know those answers for your clients. So if you need help in boosting your confidence in coaching clients, um, I share the link with you as well. It's three steps to boosting your coaching confidence, yeah. free video training. Um, so I've shared all that with you as have a podcast, more than what you eat. Um, and yeah, I shared with Leah all the links. So awesome. They'll all be in the show notes. And definitely, I know I have a relatively significant dietitian following, especially like undergrad RDs to be definitely mm-hmm. take advantage of the um, training, the video training, because there's so like Rachel said, there's so much nuance and there's few people offering um, like support in coaching through an intuitive eating lens. So I, I just can't recommend that enough. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Thank of you. Of course. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks, Leah. If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week. Music